At this time, you may take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. If you need a Bible, look in front of you or around you there and find a pew Bible. And you can open up to page 962. And we would love for you to read the scriptures with us. And if you need a Bible to take with you, to take home, please take that as a gift from us to you. We would love for you to have God's Word in your hands, that it would make its way into your hearts to bring life change for the glory of God. I love this service. I love this time in which we're here together today. I've found that every year this is one of my favorite services because we're caught in between uh, Christmas and such build up until Christmas and such excitement. We had a wonderful time together the other night at our Christmas Eve service and we've seen family, we've seen friends and then you get to this weekend and, and many of us are tired and maybe exhausted. I've talked to several of you this morning and you have told me without me even asking because I've learned it's not polite to say, hey, are you tired? <laughs> Uh, but you said, I'm tired. It's, it's been quite the week, but it's been a good week. But then we're rolling into this next week of the new year of 2020, and maybe you have some goals set before you that you're excited about. So we're kind of caught in the in-between. And, and so I wanted to take this Sunday, uh, before we hop back into the book of John in the new year, uh, just to look in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, it's going to be one verse that we're really going to pay attention to, but I'm going to read it in its context as is important. So we're going to be reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, starting in verse 5. We'll read through verse 9. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia. And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Let us pray together. Father, we are grateful for your word. For it is in your word that we discover your will. Your will for your people. Your will for our lives. Your will that draws us close unto you. Father, my prayer is that we would be a people that would strive to honor you in all that we do. And that we would faithfully say, Lord willing, or if the Lord permits being a people that always trust in your timing, in your guidance, in your sovereignty as you rule, and we as your people, that we would have joy in our hearts in trusting you in your great promises. Guide us today, Lord, as we search the Scriptures. You have given us the gift of the Holy Spirit to teach us in order that we may know you more, for this is eternal life. To you be the glory for this time in which you have given us. We worship you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. 
So as Paul is writing to the Corinthians, he says in verse 7, if the Lord permits. If you're taking notes today, you may just want to write at the top of the page, Lord willing. Maybe you use this phrase. You say, hey, I look forward to spending time with you, Lord willing, or if God permits. But maybe you hear this saying and you think it's a little old-fashioned, but actually it's very biblical as we see here today. If you want to get the 30,000-foot view of the life of Paul, the one who is writing this letter, you can just turn to the back of your Bible right now and look at the maps. You may find that more entertaining than listening to me speak. But you'll see there are three missionary journeys that Paul took during his time. And it looks very impressive. Even in our day and time, when we can hop on planes and trains and in automobiles, He didn't have any of these modes of transportation. He traveled mostly by ship or by foot. Paul set out to preach the gospel. This he was determined to do at all costs. And throughout the known world, he wanted to make Jesus known among the people. This was his top priority. This book was written uh, at the low end, maybe A.D. 53, high end A.D. 57. So let's just say A.D. 55, if you were to ask Paul, Paul, we're rolling into the new year, 55. What are your goals? What's your top priority? I feel most certain that Paul would look back to us and say, preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. What's your top priority heading into 2020? Is it to preach the gospel? For Paul, he would preach the gospel at all costs. He was motivated by the grace of God and he fully trusted in God's will to make Jesus known throughout a lost and dying world. One of these places was Corinth thriving Roman cosmopolitan city, greatly influenced by Julius Caesar. In Paul's time, it was a bustling commercial and industrial center, boasting a population of almost 700,000 people. So just to kind of get this picture in mind, it was seven times the size of the population in Lowndes County. It was a center of trade and luxury and indulgence. We, as Americans, can relate to these things. There was pagan worship which dominated the land. Marble temples covered the landscape and were filled with prostitutes and vile priests. Distorted worship, a confused people. Sounds much like our day in time. But in the midst of all of the hustle and bustle and the depravity and Naivety sat the church. Jews and Gentiles gathered together in Christ Jesus. Paul has these people on his heart as he writes to them and says, If the Lord permits, I will come to you. If the Lord permits, he would continue preaching the gospel and ministering to the church as long as God allowed. So we don't see Paul stalling in his efforts. 
He says, I am in Macedonia, I'm in Ephesus, I am preaching the gospel, I'm moving from one place to the next. I hope to come to you, Lord willing. Many times, if we were to say, if God wills, then I will go do something. But in the meantime, we stall. We find ourselves waiting for God just to reveal what the next opportunity is for us. But for Paul, his top priority was to preach the gospel. His life was for the gospel. And so he would do this every day. And often he would say, if the Lord wills. 1 Corinthians 4.19 But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. He also said this to the church at Ephesus in Acts 18.21 but on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. So what do we mean when we say, Lord willing? Does this mean that if everything works out in our favor, then it must be Lord willing? Does it mean that when we get to a point where we feel like doing something, then it's Lord willing? What is Lord willing? We're going to ask ourselves two questions today, and then we're going to seek the answer. One, what is the will of God? And how do I know what the will of God is for my life? Next week, we're going to have our Vision Sunday for 2020. We're going to uh, look at Pray 2020. Uh, we did Multiply 2018, Memorize 2019, Pray 2020. Before we get there and dive deep into prayer, I wanted us to have a Sunday where we could really dive into these questions to discover the answer. What is the will of God and how do I know what the will of God is for my life? Just by a show of hands, anybody else curious to know these answers? Okay, got a few of us in the room. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 For this is the will of God. Your sanctification. You say, my, that sounds really spiritual. <laughs> That's a big word. What does sanctification mean? If I could put it in its most simple terms, it means to be set apart from sin. To be set apart from the dominion of sin, that which we were born into as we have come from the first Adam, we're sinners. We have a nature to sin. All we know is sin. We were born into spiritual darkness, separated from God. And so sanctification is where God graciously sets us apart from the dominion of sin and sets us upon the rock of Jesus Christ. Although the will of God is mysterious in that we do not know why God allows certain events to happen, like we don't know why some children die at a young age. We don't know why some spouses leave families, marriages. We don't understand catastrophic events. And we find ourselves asking the question, why, God, would you allow this to happen? We know that you're good. We know that you're holy. We know that you are all-powerful. But why now? Or why my child? Or why my husband? Or why my family? Or my friends? Or why me, God? 
There are many answers we will not receive when we ask questions like that. What we can receive is a hope in trusting that God is good, that he is in control, and that things that are happening here on earth are not spiraling out of control without him ruling over all things. So although the will of God is mysterious in that we do not know why God allows certain events to happen, we do also know that many details of God's will have been made known to us. The answer is before us. They are found in his revealed will through the word of God, through the Bible. We hold the Bible in our hands today. I noticed one thing I didn't realize I have a habit of doing this, and it dawned on me today. I love when we sing, I love to hold the Bible in my hands. Maybe you do this too. And the reason why is I'm holding to the promises of God, clinging to his promises. And yet often we find it really hard to make our way to the scriptures. But it's here in the scriptures that we discover the will of God. Deuteronomy 8.3, this is what Moses says to the children of God as he's delivered them from captivity in Egypt. And they're preparing uh, to go to Canaan and Moses knows that he will not go with the people for he has sinned and yet he's giving these commands to them. Deuteronomy 8.3 and this is what he says and he humbled you and he let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. How does man live? How does a man of God or a woman of God live? By every word from the mouth of God. Today, we have the privilege of holding this word of God in our hands so that we will live by these words. We study this word. We preach from this word. We exalt this word of God. We don't preach from any other text except for this book. And what a humbling task it is and a difficult task that it is. But in the word of God, we learn who we are without Christ and who we can be in Christ. So if you are without Christ today, you can come to the Scriptures. And I bid you to go to the Scriptures to learn about who you are. You're saying, I would like to know who I am. I know one thing. I don't follow Jesus. I don't trust that he is the Christ. But I would like to know who I am. You can discover that in the Scriptures. The Bible will declare to you and reveal to you who you are without Christ. But I'm going to go ahead and give you this warning. It's frightening. It's sobering. But it's true. You learn that you are separated from a holy God and that you are left unto yourself to pay for your sins in which you will not be able to stand before a holy God in judgment when you leave this earth. And you will be judged for your sins, and you will be found guilty of offending a holy God. And he will righteously declare you guilty, and he will throw you into an eternal lake of fire, where you will be punished for your sins throughout all of eternity. 
This is what you will find about yourself in the Scriptures and why you need a Savior. You'll also discover in the Scriptures that you are hopeless. There are many things that you can find satisfaction in, but none of them last. You will find that your life is defined by chasing after the wind. It's vanity. You may be sitting there and going, I get get what you're saying. I, I experienced this. You may be going through life and there are some things that have made you happy or joyful, but yet now you just find yourself hearing these words and you're going, that sounds true. I really do struggle with finding meaning here in this earth. Come to the scriptures and learn who you are without Christ so that you can also learn who you can be in Christ, more than a conqueror, that you can trust that Jesus Christ came on this earth and he lived differently than you live and than I live. That he lived a life that is perfect and pleasing to the Father and that everything he did for 33 years on this earth was good and righteous and holy. He defeated every temptation that came his way and yet he went to the cross as a criminal, as he took on our sin and he paid for real sins. So as you look to Christ, you can trust that every sin that you've committed so far in life and have committed today and will commit tomorrow, they have been paid for. And as you look to Jesus, you will know that that work is finished. So you're not left wondering, well, will God change his mind? Will God say, well, I know I sent my son to die for you, but you really are a wretched person. You haven't understood grace yet. And I stand before you today, and if there's anyone who hasn't truly understood grace yet, it's myself. To know the grace of God covers all of my sin, all of my depravity, all of my shortcomings. But yet Christ paid for me. This is what we find in the scriptures as we place trust in Jesus. And you will also learn that as you're in Christ, he rose from the grave. And because he rose from the grave, he is not a dead savior. You're not going to go visit his gravesite and find a body in the tomb. They argue over which is the tomb because they're all empty. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God and he will return for his people. And when he comes, we will be reunited with him and there we will reign with him forever. This is our hope in Christ. This is the gospel that we preach and that we stand upon. For many of you, this sounds familiar. You find yourself almost saying this with me. Because we all have a peculiar way in which we explain the gospel. Let us make sure that it lines up with God's word. But how it's impacted our lives, we have a special way in which we share the gospel. I hope that you share it often. For Paul, he preached the gospel. In the word of God, we learn who we are without Christ and who we can be in Christ. We were once a people with natural limitations, who presented our bodies as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, meaning we were a people digging deeper pits 
and to sin day by day. No matter how hard we try to get out of the pit of sin, we found ourselves deeper into that wretched pit. But when the grace of God shone upon us, we repented to follow Christ. And now, now we present our bodies as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification, being set apart from sin. This life of sanctification is the will of God for our lives. And we continue day after day trusting his promises. Instead of wallowing in a pit of sin and despair, we stand upon a firm foundation of truth and hope. This is the will of God for our lives. What is the will of God for my life? Your sanctification. And from here, we make decisions in line with his word. God's will of decree, what he has predetermined from eternity past, cannot be thwarted. We cannot change it. Our days are numbered. He knows exactly the time in which we will be here on this earth. We can never change that. But God's will of desire, the way he wants us to live, can be disregarded. We see his commands within Scripture. We receive these commands because this is what God desires for our lives, that we be holy and righteous and set apart from sin. And so with these commands, we are to obey them, follow them, trust in them, and live our lives. Let me give you a real example. For our young people in the room, you may be asking this question. How do I know which person is right for me to marry? Maybe wrestling with that question right now in your life. Now to some who are older in the room, you may say, how do I know if I married the right person? (laughs) I kind of laugh, but that may truly be what's on your mind and heart. We'll address that. Let's get back to the other question. How do I know which person is the right one for me to marry? I remember when I was uh, 17 years old, my best friend Chad, myself, we were in his room and we were told to make a list of the, the, the woman we wanted to marry. We had to have standards for her. And so he had his list of standards, I had my list of standards, and we were pretty petty in our attempt. I mean, to the hair color, eye color, all of that. And I remember his older sister walked in and I mean, she's, she's pretty, I'm going to admit. But she walked in and she saw our list and <laughs> she said, you disgust me and walked out of the room. <laughs> well, we're trying to be godly. We're, we're trying to be righteous here. We don't want to waste our time. We want to have standards. This is the type of woman we want to marry. And yet, as I talk with young people, they wrestle with this question, how do I know if she's the right one or if he is the right one? And let me just offer this word of encouragement. First and foremost, you yourself ought to be in the Word of God, studying the Scriptures, falling in love with Jesus. You're not to date Jesus. (laughs) I don't date anyone. I'm dating Jesus. No, Jesus doesn't want to date you. He died for you. He saved you. You enter into a marriage with Christ. And so rejoice in this relationship with Jesus Christ first and foremost. This is where you begin. 
and understanding who is the right person for me to marry. Now, I'm speaking on behalf of Christians. Uh, From this point, you live your life, and you look around at where God has placed you, and who are you interested in? Do you see someone who has caught your eye? Then approach them. I've talked with young men about this, and they think it's rather silly because I've learned that the young generation, if you want to ask somebody to go do something, you text them or Snapchat or whatever. We call that back in the day being a scrub, right? I don't want no scrub. All right, now listen, I don't know the full context of that and just understand, so don't, don't scold me afterwards, but we did say that. But here's the deal. For you young people and for you young men in the room, if there's someone who has caught your eye, approach them and ask them, hey, uh, would you like to go get lunch? Would you uh, like to go get dinner sometime and and just get to know each other? I've been laughed at as I've mentioned this to young men because they say, Brian, nobody does that. I know. Not many do because their priorities are out of line. But for those who are truly seeking someone that honors the Lord, you begin by good communication. You need to hear where they stand in Christ. The thing that you should care most about the person that you're pursuing is do they love Jesus, not do they love you or think you're hot or good-looking or strong or athletic or the bee's knees. It's do they love Jesus. And from there, you get to know them in a friendship, a friendship that that strives to be genuine, and you care for this person, and you seek the best for this person in Christ Jesus. Now, young people, you may be hearing this, and you're thinking, Brian, you sound really old-fashioned. Really, I sound biblical. (laughs) I don't say that with arrogance. I say that with truth. If you want the best relationship moving forward, you really need to get to know that person in Christ Jesus. Now, you're going to have real feelings You're going to have uh, excitement, um, going on dates and spending time together. And you may find that the first time that you meet and hang out together, you spend six hours talking and then you go, I don't know what else I can share with them after that. (laughs) Temper yourself, get to know them, take time. And as time goes along, if you find that together your values and their values match up and that you honor Christ Jesus Continue to take steps forward, and you can see, I could be with this person the rest of my life, and you have a desire to be with them, and they have a desire to be with you, you're in the right direction. You continue to pray and trust in the Lord, and then there comes that time when you go, this is the person I want to be with, and it will be affirmed if they feel the same way. Now, some of you are saying, thank you, Brian, for the lesson we learned this years ago, Uh, but for our young people in the room, I just want to encourage you that if you're seeking these things out, begin with Christ Jesus, begin with the word, and then pursue, and then pursue. How do you know if somebody's not for you if they don't love Jesus? And I know that's a tough one because you would go, but I started my marriage with my husband not knowing Jesus, and now he knows Jesus. Praise God. Praise God for that. That's wonderful. But that is not a biblical command to marry someone who doesn't know Jesus. But by God's grace, that person has been saved, and now you're together in Christ. Praise God. That's great. But we're not to be unequally yoked. So if that person does not love Jesus first and foremost, and you see this through a period of time, that's not the person, Christian, that you are to be pursuing. You can trust God in that. But then you may ask this question, but there are so many. (laughs) 
There are so many different ladies out there or so many different men out there. You say, which one? Well, God knows who he has for you. And you say, oh, is there only one person? That one person is not for you to just uh, single out all by themselves. That may sound strange, right? God does that. You just pursue someone that you're interested in and you trust the Lord with everything else. And so there may be a relationship that doesn't work out that you thought was going to work out and you're heartbroken by it. Let God teach you through that and then continue to pursue in a godly manner. I hope for you young people that this is encouraging to you as I just take a few minutes to walk with you through these things because you may find yourself in the midst of one of these scenarios. But always trust that God will not lead you astray in finding that right one in your life. For those of you who are married and you're saying, I don't know if I'm married the right one. Nonsense. Nonsense. You're married. You have a covenant relationship before God. Somebody else may have caught your eye and you may be convincing yourself that that's God's will for you to chase after that woman or that man. Nonsense. That's sinful. That's rebellion. God will not bless that. Amen? Just want to make sure we're all together on this. Not everybody in the room said amen, by the way. I'm taking note. But here's the deal. You're, we convince ourselves otherwise. And men have said foolish things in the past of saying, I don't think I married the right woman. I married the wrong woman. Well, listen, brother, you got to move forward now and trust that by God's grace, he'll bring healing in your marriage and that you will love and cherish that woman as Christ Jesus loves and cherishes you. A few examples here of how we trust the will of God and many times how we can attempt to distort the will of God by making it our will. But we learn these things through the Bible, through the Bible. That's why we must remain in the word. You say, well, why do I need the Bible? Because this is God's will. And you learn how to do what is right by coming to the scriptures. Walking in the will of God is when we say no to the flesh and yes to Christ. Not always doing what feels right, but doing what is right. Not always doing what feels right, but doing what is right. It's faith over feeling. Faith over feeling. For Paul, he didn't always do what felt right. He just did what was right. He went through persecution. He went, he went through beatings. If it was about what felt right, the first time he was beaten, he would have walked away. But yet he continues in the will of God, trusting faith over feeling. Many times we are so afraid of missing God's will that we stall our efforts to walk in the will of God. We're really good at telling other people what they should not do or what they should do. But when it comes to our lives, we don't know what we should do. We're afraid to step out and be wrong. How can we be sure that we are walking in the will of God when there are so many choices out there for us, so many different paths that we can take? Maybe you're considering a job, but then there are three or four job opportunities for you out there. How can you be so sure? We do live in a day and time where there are many choices. 
And the paradox of choice, Barry Schwartz tells of a trip to his local, moderately-sized grocery store. He found 285 varieties of cookies, 13 sports drinks, 65 box drinks, 85 kids' juices. I'm sure most of them had red dye in them. 75 iced teas. All you need is sweet and unsweet. No. 95 types of chips and pretzels. 15 kinds of bottled water. 80 different pain relievers. Not even going to go there. 40 options for toothpaste. 150 lipsticks. I don't get that one. 360 types of shampoo. 90 different cold remedies, 230 soups, 75 instant gravies, because you need 75 different types of instant gravies, 275 varieties of cereal, 64 types of barbecue sauce, and 22 types of frozen waffles. Choices. Now that's silly, right? But that is true. You do have all of these choices, but when you think about your day and you have all different types of choices to make, how do you know what to do? Well, let us be sure of this, that seeking the will of God is not equivalent to shaking up a magic eight ball and waiting for an answer. I'm going to go to the word of God and I'm going to open it up and I'm waiting for my answer. I'm going to read and I'm going to listen and I'm going to wait. Nothing wrong with reading and listening. Nothing wrong with that. But when that's always our approach, to waiting until we hear something definitive, till we receive the green light. There's something wrong with that. This is not how we should approach the Scriptures. How should we approach the Scriptures? Matthew 6.33, Jesus says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Every day we are seeking first the kingdom of God. God, your will be done. Your kingdom. I am a citizen of your kingdom before I'm a citizen of the United States or a citizen of any other country. I'm a citizen of heaven and I'm thinking with a heavenly mind so I can be of the greatest earthly good today for your name's sake. That's how we approach the scriptures. God's will is not meant to paralyze us with fear, but set us free to live. To set us free so that we can live. Paul lived life to the fullest. You say, but at the end of his life, he was beheaded. And for the glory of God, he would have it no other way. Because he sought first the kingdom of God. This approach to seeking first the kingdom of God diminishes our fears and relieves us from our great worries in life. Kevin DeYoung, in his book, Just Do Something, which I highly recommend, if you're looking at a book on knowing the will of God, Kevin DeYoung, Just Do Something, is a, is a great side read. That's what he says in his book. Worry about the future is not simply a character tick. It is the sin of unbelief and indication that our hearts are not resting in the promises of God. When we worry, we are not resting in the promises of God. 
There's never a point when worry and doubting God is indeed a good thing. But we will worry. We will struggle with worry. And every time we struggle with worry, we can come to the word of God where we can rest in his promises. As I was talking with someone, I believe, yesterday, we said, how do we uh, alleviate ourselves of worry? They say, you come to the scriptures. Amen. You come to the scriptures. At this point, you may be thinking, okay, Brian, I'm with you. Can you provide me something concrete as I prepare to leave today and walk in the will of God? Yes, absolutely. Turn in your Bibles to page, or not to page, but to the chapter of 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 22. Let me give you something concrete that we can take with us today and that we can take with us throughout the week as we seek the will of God. God, what is your will for my life? What would you have me do? How can I honor you? Here's one passage of many that I bring you to today. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 22. Paul says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. This is walking in the will of God. You can take this passage and live your life by it this week and let it be an encouragement to you as you pursue the will of God. For in these things, and listen, it's not rigid. It's not dry to come to the scriptures and just read and go, oh, that's the will of God for my life. I'm not special to receive my own revelation. You're part of the church. If you're a Christian, you're indeed special. And this word is for you as it is for me. That is as it was for those from whom it was written in the first century. But before you begin, you must be in Christ. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So if you're reading this passage today and you're not a Christian, you're saying, well, I'll give this a try. I'll see if this works for me. It doesn't work that way. You must first die to yourself of you being king or queen over your life and trusting the true king, Jesus Christ, and live your life in Christ. That's where it begins, in salvation. Trust Jesus today. For all of those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ, here's a breakdown of this passage. I'm going to go through it rather quick. Respect your co-laborers and leaders in the gospel. Show respect to those in the gospel who preach and teach and serve. May we hold in high regard the preaching of the scriptures and the teaching of the scriptures. If you teach a community group or a small group, 
hold this position in high regard by preparing each week. You want to walk in the will of God as a teacher? Prepare. (laughs) Don't prepare on Sunday night alone unless you spend an adequate time preparing on that evening. But prepare throughout the week. Walk in the will of God. Respect the position. Respectfully receive their correction. When you're rebuked through the preaching of the Scriptures or when somebody comes to you and rebukes you because you're not walking in the will of God according to His Word, receive it. Value their presence in your life and love them. Strive to be at peace with one another. So if you're not at peace with someone, go make peace. You're saying, I want to know the will of God, but I don't want to be at peace with that person over there. That's not walking in the will of God. That doesn't mean you have to go be besties after you make peace. But it does mean that you can love and honor that person who may be different from you or made a different decision than you like, but you're a brother and brother in Christ or a brother and sister in Christ or a sister and sister in Christ. Go make peace. This is the will of God in our lives. Correct those in idleness, wandering on earth without a purpose for each day. If you're in idleness and someone corrects you of wasting your time, receive it. If you see somebody wasting their time, go to them in love and share with them the good news. Share with them the word of how God has called them from that idleness to live with a purpose for the glory of God. Encourage the hurting. Those who are hurting around you, may we not ignore them, but may we minister to them and know that it's going to take our time. It's going to be inconvenient. It may be awkward. But this is what it means to walk in the will of God. Help those in need, the weak. Let that be your problem as well. Some say, I've gotten to a point where that's no longer my problem. You're going to have to get yourself out of that hole. But we of all people should not behave in such a manner when God did not approach us that way. Hey, when you get yourself out of the hole, then we can talk. No, he came down into the hole with us and brought us out. Show patience in all of these areas. You are not above the wandering soul, the hurting sister, or weak brother. Brother, Don't repay someone who has wronged you with another type of evil. Oh, I'm going to get them good. And let them have it. How dare they offend me? How dare they hurt me? How dare they rub our family name in the mud? But to walk in the will of God is not to repay one evil with another form of evil. It's to love. It is to forgive. It is to seek healing. Seek to do good towards others. And I also wrote on here, and then I scratched it out. Seek to do good to others, toward others, no matter how they treat you. And then I scratched that out for this purpose, because there are sometimes, as you seek to do good towards others, no matter how they treat you, you do good to them, but you need to get away from them. There are certain situations, according to the will of God, if you are being abused, mistreated, It would be foolish for me to stand up here and say, you just do good to them no matter how they treat you. Yeah, let them continue to hurt you, but you just do good to them. No, do good to them, but seek safety. All of these things we find in this text. And then as we get to the end of this passage, there are some commands, more commands that are brief, precise, 
And there are three words. If you were to say, hey, are there, I don't normally speak like this, but this is kind of what's been going on in my own life. Last year in 2018, the word was contentment in my life. Brian, be content in all things. Be content. No matter what's happening, be content in where God has you. In 2019, the word that was so heavy upon my heart as I read the scriptures was be steady. Be steady. Just keep moving forward in the gospel. Be steady. Last year, be content. This year, be steady. Be content. Be steady. I find myself as we move to the new year and I'm reading the scriptures that I am to live with urgency. Urgency. Be content, be steady, but be urgent with the gospel. Don't delay. These are just some things in which the word of God has molded and shaped my life over the past two years and rolling into this next year. And I use it as an example. This very passage that I'm preaching from today was from my personal reading two months ago as I was reading in 1 Corinthians. And I came across the passage when Paul says earlier in 1 Corinthians 4, when he says, Lord willing, and I couldn't get past it. And I began to meditate on it and say, God, what does this mean, Lord willing? So as I preach it to you, it's something that I myself have been wrestling through as I seek the will of God. And I lay all that out as I give you these three points at the end. They're not gonna be on the screen, but if you're taking notes, I'll speak slowly. Number one, be content. If you want to walk in the will of God, be content where God has you. Where do you get this? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Be content. Be content. Rejoice always from a deep reservoir of trust in Jesus. Pray without ceasing. You say, how do I pray without ceasing? I mean, do I just not stop praying? Well, use this as an example. Have you ever asked yourself that about worry? How do I worry without ceasing? No, we don't. We just worry a lot. Well, begin to replace your worry with prayer. Just start there. Pray without ceasing. Faithfully seeking the Lord. Give thanks in all circumstances. He made no exceptions here. And if there's anyone who could give such a command in Christ Jesus, it was Paul. In all circumstances, give thanks. So one, be content as you live your life in the will of God. Number two, remain steadfast. Remain steadfast. Remain steady. Steady. Just be steady. Live by the Spirit. Cherish the Word of God. Hold fast to what is true. I take this as I read it to me to mean remain steady. You may be thinking I'm not as dynamic as that person over there in sharing the gospel. I am not living in the house that my other friends are living in right now. I'm not driving the cars that my friends are driving. For your life, remain steady in the gospel. Remain steady day after day faithfully relying upon the Lord. Trust what he brings into your life, not into someone else's life. And number three, live with urgency. Live with urgency. Avoid all forms of evil, Paul says in this passage. Avoid all forms of evil. You're not going to conquer this all in one day. 
For there are many forms of evil in which we face and some of them in which we do not know. That is why we need the word of God to reveal these forms of evil in our lives so that we can avoid them. So that we can live with urgency. Be content. Remain steadfast. Live with urgency. And if Lord willing, he gifts us with another day, grow in Christ by doing likewise. Church, I challenge you as we turn the page from 2019 and going into 2020, live your life, Lord willing. Trust him. Be content. Be steady. Be urgent with the gospel. And take joy that you are in Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Father, thank you that we can come to the scriptures today and be encouraged. A faithful reminder through your word of what it means to walk in your will. May we be a people who seek your will daily. May we make our decisions, real life decisions, based on the scriptures. As we hide ourselves in Christ Jesus, as we feast upon your word, as we worship you daily, every decision that we make, may we strive to make it for your name's sake. May we take all of our thoughts captive and submit them to Christ Jesus. May we not make exceptions for ourselves and hold ourselves by a different standard than everyone else is held to by the gospel. May we be conquerors and more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.